Hello, High Point family. Hopefully everyone's getting on and we're experimenting and learning all kinds of new things in new formats, but this is done obviously through Facebook Live. Um, I have to tell you, this is kind of a difficult time for a lot of people and a lot of families and trying to figure out what the new normal is, at least for the next few weeks. Um, but I, I think sometimes when we go through difficult times like this, our, our main strategy is just to quickly get through it and then get back to, um, to our everyday routines and life as we like it. But whether it's an illness or you get laid off at work or some other thing, I, I think God wants us to use these events and these challenges to grow a little bit. And God can make up a tremendous amount of space and can take us down a spiritual road if we'll allow him to, instead of just trying to quickly uh, get past an event. I think back to what Max Licato talked about after 9-11 and how um, that there was a tremendous amount of growth and people searching after God after going through that. So over the next few weeks, I'm hoping we can get together at 6.30 on Wednesday nights and just kind of talk about maybe some areas that God's going to work in your life and uh, hopefully for us to allow ourselves to be open for God to, to make some spiritual headway in our lives. You know, when we go through um, big trials like this, or sometimes it's an event like a, or a, a tornado or a hurricane, or even when we hear that there's a freezing rain coming, uh, there, there's some type of interruption to what's normal around us. Uh, what we try to do is we try to grab uh, as many resources as possible because we're, we're fearful that we'll run out. So we quickly run to the grocery store and before the shelves get cleared off, we want to stock our pantries. And if every other uh, vehicle in, you know, in, around us doesn't have enough gas, we want ours to. And so we make sure that we top off and we, we grab as much stuff and, and we cram stuff in because we don't want to go through a hardship and we will do all we can to do that. So part of our uh, prudent planning, that's good. And as um, you know, parents and, and grandparents, we want to do all we can for those that have been that we've been called to serve and that type of thing. But it's easy for us to go to extremes. It's easy for us to kind of switch out of a spiritual mode and into a physical mode. And what, what I mean by that is when we have trials and we have situations, we want to accomplish things through our own grit, our own determination, our own planning. And sometimes we take God out of the mix. And so that's what I want to talk about tonight is what's a healthy response. And it, if not on the outside, what's going on, on the inside where we still allow God to be on our throne? Because when we start seeing ourselves as our own providers, then what tends to happen to that is we dismiss God's promises that he will take care of us. And that's what we don't want to do. So, yes, we can be proactive. We can do some things to care for our family but we can't lose the spiritual mindset that we are people 
that's defined by the promises that God's given to us. And so uh, the other thing that can happen when we kind of take the reins in these situations is we start seeing others, the people that we're called to love and to serve and to reach out to, we start viewing them as threats. There are people there that can are, are in competition for the same resources that we want. And especially when we've got uh, a virus going around and the, we start seeing people as a threat to our family instead of these are God's children that we need to care for. Reinhold Niebuhr, who's an American theologian, had a great book a few years ago called The Children of Light and the Children of Darkness. And he had a quote that, that kind of summarized what I'm talking about here tonight. He says, since a survival impulse in nature is transmitted into two different and contradictory spiritual forms, which we may briefly designate as the will to live truly, trusting in God, and the will to power, and that's trusting in self, man is at a variance within himself. That means we're arguing back and forth between trusting God and trusting ourselves. But the power of the second impulse, trusting ourselves, places man more fundamentally in conflict with his fellow man than he realizes. He said, even subconsciously, when we move away from God's provisions and God's power in our lives, we can't help but see the very people around us, uh, the, the people we're called to love and serve as threats to what we're trying to do for our families. So the more we can, by faith, trust in all-powerful God, the more that mindset needs to be before us because God has unlimited resources. We have only what we can generate and what we can grab here and there, but we lose our, our footing in the spiritual battle and Satan can make up ground in our lives when we're driven by fear. So it's giving up the whole notion of being self-sufficient, instead choosing to be God-sufficient and God-reliant. See, in the kingdom of God, it is kind of upside down. The first will be last and the last will be first, right? And uh, we're trying to get into the idea that uh, if we're seeing things from abundance, in reality, there's scarcity in the abundance that we're going after. But yet in times of scarcity, we can see God's provisions and the abundance that he provides. So um, if you notice on the Facebook Live, you can also send in chats um, or you can send in questions or comments, and those will be uh, handled by our administrator, aka my wife, Jill, and she'll pass those questions on to me. And so we'll try to reserve a little bit of time at the end of our study for answering a few questions if you have any. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 6. And in Mark chapter 6, it, it's kind of cool because we see the very difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world that are illustrated in two banquet feasts that I believe Mark intentionally put side by side so we can see this contrast between the kingdom of this world and the kingdom that God provides. So uh, in Mark chapter 6, we see the first banquet 
which is the very troubling account of King Herod uh, that holds a banquet. Maybe it was a birthday party, but Mark gives Herod a lot of credit and then he uses royal language, calling Herod a king. But in reality, he was a king without a kingdom. Uh, his father was Herod the Great. Maybe you remember, you know, the, the, the fear that all of the Jewish people had when Jesus was born. Uh, you had Herod the Great. It was so fearful when the Magi came through and said, we've got this other king. Uh, and he went in and you had the slaughter of the innocents, uh, babies, all those uh, boys two, two years and younger. That's Herod the Great. And then when he passed on, his uh, administration was distributed um, off to his sons. And so it was divided among three of his sons who ruled as what are called tetrarchs or kind of governors over areas. And, uh, but they were client kings to Rome. The only power they had was given by Rome. But in reality, Pilate, so these were kind of figureheads between uh, Rome and the Jewish people. And so um, we find out that Herod and his brother Philip's wife, when they went to go visit, they ended up having an affair and then she left with him to go back. So you can imagine uh, family get-togethers and reunions became very awkward. Well, so he's living with a woman that's not, he had no right to, to do this. And so John has this, this itinerant preacher and Herod liked to listen to him, but out in the public, this would call Herod on the con, uh, you know, call him on the carpet and say, hey, "What you're doing is wrong." And in fact, it was very disgraceful. Um, and, and so Herod and his wife Herodias had had enough, and finally she says, "Throw him in jail." And so that's what would happen. But Herod enjoyed listening to to John the Baptist, and so he would sneak down there and. John would teach him and would tell him some different things, but he was always telling him what you're doing is wrong. But yet, um, Herod wouldn't get to the point where he would acquiesce to God's will, but he liked John. Well, they're having this big party and it's not just family members. There's, it's the who's who of, of the royalty from the area and all of the, um, I guess the elites of society are all gathered. And they're at this, this massive party and you can imagine, you know, the wine is flowing. They've got all this wonderful food and the scripture tells us that there's decadent dance and unbridled sexuality. It's just everything you can imagine is happening at this party. And there's an interesting turn that happens. And, and that's when King Herod gives an, a, an offer of abundant generosity when his stepdaughter, which is really kind of creepy, is dancing before him and, and he and the guests that are there apparently are just loving uh, what she's doing here. And so he gives this abundant offer of, hey, up to half my kingdom, whatever you ask, well, it will be given. And so um, she goes to her mother and her mother says, go ask for the head of John the Baptist. And so you've got this horribly awkward situation, which Herod doesn't want to kill John, but he's got all of his contemporaries, all the elites of society, and he's made this grand offer. And so this banquet of the world with everything you can imagine 
ends in death as this platter is brought in with the head of John the Baptist. So, so that's this kingdom of the world and this banquet of the world. And so Mark says, if you can get a picture of, of where all of the things of this world end up and are magnified, it's there at Herod's banquet. And then he says, let me tell you about another banquet. And so he immediately goes on and we get a, a picture in verse 30 through 44. And I, I believe that Mark really wanted to draw this contrast because sandwiched right on either side or bookend in either side of this story of Herod, you've got Jesus sending out the 12 where he sends them out with absolutely nothing. He said, don't take any food, don't take any extra clothes, don't take any money in your belt. Just go out and truly lean on the Lord to provide for you. And then we have this scene, this feeding of the 5,000 that's on the other side of Herod, where we're gonna see that out of this apparent scarcity in the wilderness, God provides abundance. And so let's read in Mark chapter 6, 30 through 34. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going that they didn't even have a chance to eat, he said to them, hey, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and, and get some rest. So they went away by themselves into a boat, into a, into a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized him and, and they ran on foot from all the towns and they got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw this large crowd that had gathered, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. So Jesus sees this crowd that's gathered and he has compassion on them because they're like sheep without a shepherd. Well, who were supposed to be the shepherds? Well, obviously it was their rulers. Herod had let them down, but so also their religious leaders and the, the priests and, and all of the Levites and the different people that were supposed to be guiding the people spiritually had instead oppressed the people with these massive burdens of the law. And so the people really felt oppressed by their political leader and their religious leaders as well. And so Jesus has compassion on them. He says, let me lead you, let me guide you as my sheep in a different way. So this whole way of being king, I was trying to tell them, isn't working. And let me provide a different vision from what my kingdom, God's kingdom, is all about. And so he wants to kind of embody this. We'll see what he's going to do. This is verse 35. By this time, it was late in the day, and so his disciples came to him. Um, you know, this kind of a remote place. Uh, it's already getting late. Uh, send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages to buy themselves something to eat. We got nothing. It is a bad situation. But he says, why don't you give them something to eat? They said, oh, no, no Jesus, that, that would take eight months of a man's wages. Are, are we to go and spend that much on bread and, and give it to them to eat? Uh, boy, how are we going to do this in the economy of this world and in this physical realm? Jesus is wanting to 
tie the spiritual in with the physical. They're not thinking in spiritual terms. They're just trying to say, how do we get people fed? And Jesus says, how many loaves do you have? They asked, we'll, we'll go and see. And when they found out, they said, well, we've got five loaves of bread and, and a couple of fish. That's it. It ain't going to go very far. I wonder if the boy, whether he was young or adolescent or a young man, when they ask him for this, is he going, you know what? I took care of my needs and you want me to give this up? Because if I give this up, then I'm going to be in a bad place. I'm going to go hungry. You know, we don't like to give up our food, do we? Several years ago, I was helping a uh, older uh, person that I know that was moving out of an apartment in a senior retirement center. Now this retirement center had a cafeteria and they were on a meal plan where they got three meals a day. But yet when we moved the bed bag, it was completely filled underneath with canned goods. Most of them had expired. So it was, I know I've got this food, but just in case that supply isn't there, I want to have backups. I, I want to make sure I'm covered. And so I, I asked this person and they're like, well, when you go through Great Depression, you hear some of the stories and you don't have, then you get nervous and, and you want to have, you want to stockpile and you want to lay back everything you can because you don't want to go through that again. You don't want to, to lose that sense of security. So um, Jesus said, get the people ready for a banquet. Let me demonstrate what this is going to look like. In verse 39, he directed all the disciples to see all the people in groups as though they were having a banquet on the green grass. That's what the common English Bible says. He said, we're setting them down for a banquet on the green grass. And so this scarcity, this scarce moment requires trust. And Jesus says, let me demonstrate my provisions and let me demonstrate how my kingdom is different. So Jesus says, let's get them ready for this banquet. In verse 41, taking the five loaves and the two fish, looking up into heaven, he gave thanks and he broke the loaves. He gave it to his disciples that set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them. But notice the pattern that we see from Mark's telling of the gospel in that Jesus is connected to God who blesses this, this meal. And then it gets distributed to the followers of Jesus who then distribute them to the crowds. And I, I think there's a real lesson there for us, especially in these difficult times, that if people don't have that connection to God, it's up to God's followers, not just to hunker down, not just to make sure we're covered, but to put ourselves in a place where God's provisions, God's abundance can flow through us to help and bless others. So that's the pattern that we see. So they are the ones through whom the kingdom is introduced in advance. Jesus is preaching about it, but it's these disciples that are going through and they're seeing what this miracle is, even if the people don't quite get what's happening. Verse 42, they all ate and were satisfied. 
and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish, one for each of the 12. Each of them got a firsthand view of the provisions that God had given. The crowd may not have realized it, but the followers of Jesus had seen how he had multiplied this one meal through God to bless these multitudes of folks and still had these provisions left over. So out of this scarcity came abundance. And with Herod, the abundance turned out to be scarcity. So I want us to, to really wrestle with these ideas and wrestle with, do we really trust God? And can this be an experience for us, for us to grow? Because in reality, we have a choice as to which banquet we're going to attend. There's the banquet where we assemble uh, and we surround ourselves with those that uh, we want to and we garner and, and we gather and sometimes hoard as many resources that can be used on me and mine, you know, was my, my family, my, my children, um, my friends. And so as long as we're covered, as long as we're having a good time, we want to ensure that that, that takes place. But in reality, that pathway and what the world provides and that abundance that, that the world says you have to have, it ends up proving to be scarce. And in the end, it leads to death. But Jesus says there's a different way, and that's to trust in me, to trust in my provisions and to trust that the promises my heavenly father said that I'm going to do for you that's where we put our hope. Does this mean that we don't go out and, and order milk and, and toilet paper and whatever we need? No, but we need to have these faith conversations with each other. And we need to have faith conversations with our families that every good and perfect gift, James 1.17 tells us, comes down from our heavenly father, the father of lights. You know, one final story is the rich young man that Jesus talked to in Luke chapter 18. You know, he had grown up, he knew the scriptures, he did all that. But Jesus is saying, you know me, but your faith hasn't manifested itself. It hasn't grown to the place where you truly are dependent upon me. That can't happen unless you go and sell all your possessions. See, it, it wasn't necessarily about helping the poor. Don't miss the message of that. He's like, what's that next step I need to take spiritually? And that's learning a God dependence. One of the rich blessings of being overseas and, and going to third world countries is seeing people that have next to nothing financially. They don't know where their next meal is. They don't know where they're gonna be staying. And yet they have a richness about them because they've learned that the abundance comes from God. It doesn't come from self. They have no resource, no way of doing these things. So I want to encourage us to start developing, and it's hard to do, but start developing this dependence upon God. And in times like this, when things seem out of control, it provides us a great opportunity to say, God, you have to have this because I don't.
There's no way I can protect myself or, or my family. God, I want you to be in control of this. So that that's my thoughts for tonight. If you have any questions uh, that you would like to send in or any comments, um, I would love to, to read those out and respond the best I can. And if you guys want to have a little bit of a dialogue tonight, we can do that. Or if you've said, hey, thanks for tonight, um, I'm out. Please enjoy your time with your family. But talk about these things and pray about these things and allow God to make some spiritual inroads in your life. I, I think my producer says there's a question or comment. All right. Um, in a crisis, how does the Christian response interact with the political response? Are they independent of each other? Or go ahead and Okay, so the question is, in a time of crisis, how does a political response and a spiritual response, how do those things, are they separate or are they combined? That's a great question. I'll, I'll give you my take because um, as our family has been here, we have been spending more time talking about matters of faith, especially around dinner table and having some good conversations and good, as Jill calls it, forced family time. So that's been real positive. And that's that, that vertical relationship with God. But we're also paying very close attention to what's happening um, in our legislature out, out of uh, Washington and even down at the state level and then down here in Collin County, seeing what our political figures and um, I guess administrators and, and folks that are, are handling things um, in our government at the various levels. And so I, I think it's good for us to have um, this go this back and forth between the spiritual and the physical. But I would say that our hope is built on nothing less um, than, than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. So I think it's fine for us to pay attention to what government is doing, but I, I personally struggle uh, when we um, are asked to give up things and give up rights, especially as uh, people of faith, in order for government to step in to provide those things. Hopefully that answers your question. Any more questions? Okay. Hopefully this has been beneficial. I, I want to let you know that we're going to be trying to offer a variety of different classes um, on Sunday morning. Uh, we've got John Herzog is going to be teaching a class and Kevin Canterbury is going to be teaching a class on seeing the unseen. And then also my daughter Maggie is going to be teaching a class on Tuesdays um, on intercessory prayer. So those are a few things for us to get excited about. I think we may have one more question or comment. Um, yes, it says um, people seem to be afraid of running out of food and toilet paper. Why is there so much insecurity? Okay, so people are afraid of running out of food and 
and running out of necessary supplies? Why is there so much insecurity? What I would um, say is um, there should be a clear contrast between Christians and non-Christians. And that's kind of what I'm getting at is if we are dining at the banquet of Herod, uh, where we have to provide our own provisions and we have to take care of our family and it's up to us in all situations, then there's a tremendous amount of pressure and fear and anxiety that comes from that because uh, we know that our ability to provide those things is is very limited and so we become fearful but hopefully we can model with our friends and neighbors a confidence that comes from truly uh, being able to um, to trust in ourselves. I think that was a comment from Larry Miller. So Larry, great question. And hopefully as believers, we can go in and, and truly, um, I guess, have a confidence that comes knowing that our provisions are from other people. Okay, Jim Norad says some positive, uh, what are some positives you see in this? Uh, one positive for me is I'm learning technology. I have been uh, dragging my feet, uh, but I, I think that we're learning to connect in new ways and in different ways that will help this congregation. I know for, for our small group, um, and for different people that I've talked with throughout the High Point family, there's a longing to get together. And I tell you, it's going to be one big celebration when we get the go ahead to come back and worship together. So I don't think there will be this sense, especially if it's a three to four month gap in here. Uh, I don't know. Do, do you want to go to church this morning? I don't know. We stayed up. There's going to be a longing because we'll see when this Christian community has been uh, removed from each other. Um, I think it really makes us sit back and see what's most important. Th those are the things that have really helped me. Uh, but I also think that possibly we're going to learn to live on less. We're going to uh, really figure out that we can do things more simply uh, and lives, live more simply than we have been. Um, and hopefully we'll develop more of a God dependence instead of self-dependence. Any more? All right. We're going to wrap it up tonight. So, um, uh, same bat time, same bat channel next week. Uh, so it'll be Wednesday night at 6.30. And we'll talk. Okay, my producer is shaking her head that that was terrible. Yeah, no more. No more. Okay. So we'll see you guys, and we'll be ready for Sunday morning. Stay tuned. Thanks.